talking to Brian Epstein, and we thought maybe we can be because they were called the Quarrymen originally. Oh, right. And then they're like, why don't we be like Beats? You know, Beats. It's a bit more funky. Yeah, oh, well, I've got a great song too. You know, I thought we could maybe do a little bit of a little bit of this and a little bit of kissy kissy kissy. <laughs> saw the the shard of parmesan i have in my fridge it's like an iceberg of parmesan. <laughs> yeah i did i was gonna ask why why well, for people it just it's it's parmesan triangle that's the size of a forearm i'd say yeah <laughs> <laughs> like thick girth popeye's forearm yeah it's my reference for and it. it's in your very small fridge my, uh, it literally sits i feel like it's like when people put heads in fridges and it scares people <laughs> it's like this massive thing of parmesan yeah it was given as a gift by my girlfriend's okay. dad. He's like, I got you something from Italy. And I was like, oh, okay, how nice. And then just this bag of Parmesan <laughs> slams on the desk. And now I have to plan every single meal for the next <laughs> three months around Parmesan. It's going to take me ages to eat. That's like giving you like, I've been to Italy, here's a bag of wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it's, it's, it's a tub of spaghetti. No, no, the bag of Parmesan's right. But and Parmesan doesn't go off. a bag. And it's sort of just like, <laughs> yeah, this block yeah. comes in a bag, not like a rind, like a round thing. Just like, here's a bit of, here's a bit of cheese. A shot. I could just imagine him and be like, no, no, I'll take the whole thing. Because that's like what you would cut a piece yeah. from. You're South African for context. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Just like, you, would a... take, you would take a piece of yes. Parmesan from that. Sure, yeah. Have you been tempted to use it all in one meal? Like melt it I down could... and just like... Oh. I'd have to make like a really cheesy, like a cacio-y pepe. Oh, lovely. Or like, I, I can imagine that's myself... Pecorino cheese, isn't it? Yeah, you could do mix. Yeah, yeah. mix of beans. Mm, um, or you could... I, I, I always fantasize about maybe making like seven lasagnas and just batching them and freezing <laughs> well, them. Like, like just... Mark in uh, Peep Show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. they have the party Peep Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says to Jeremy, I don't snuffle any of my mozzarella. My ratios are right on the edge. <laughs> Um, so yeah, now I'm just like every th- every time I'm in, I'm like, what's for dinner? Something in Parmesan. Yeah, well, lasagna would be a safe bet. I look yeah. forward to having lasagna every time. Make I come a bechamel. That's with cheddar. Oh, you put Parmesan and bechamel. Yeah, on top. What about Roquefort? That's a cheesy sauce. Do yeah, you, you could do. I don't have Roquefort. <laughs> Is Roquefort the name of the cheese? Yeah, Rockford. How is cheese. food made? <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> Go to our earlier episode. Go to our earlier episode to find out. Oh, well, wow, we begin with like Cacio Pepe and we end with sandwiches. Look, guys, we, we, we did try and do food for a bit. And we may, may, may come back again, but we know you don't really want the food. We're talking about... In we, a different form, in different content. If we had more time and a lot of money, we would be able and to maybe do it. And time it to off. go to cookery school. Yes, but it's um, it was an interesting experiment. But the Pulp Kitchen idea lives on which is that we're feeding you film what is the pulp kitchen idea don't, don't what is talk the about idea? it on air let's do it what is it what is the show the idea is mm. come sit down we're gonna feed on film we're gonna like feast it because film like food can nourish you and Some make you feel music great. when you watch a great film you do feel great after it's like when you've had a great oh, meal you feel content you feel good you feel in like your nourished soul. in your brain exactly yeah. you just feel up oh, warm warm and so there is a connection between food and and film well, so James and I came up with this idea basically in your kitchen. Yes. So there's a nice com- contrast between the, the, uh, it's not even a contrast, sorry, I misspoke. I meant to say there's a nice origin there. The contrast, what I was going to say, is that we're both born in 1994. What film came out in 1994? Pulp Fiction. Exactly. And there's a nice little d- domestic minor spin on it. We were in a kitchen and we came up with it. So, oh, Pulp it. Kitchen. But, um, you know, you know what we should do? We should do the best, uh, 
Represent other names we could do. <laughs> <laughs> other names we could call the show. Do you know there's that coffee shop near that cinema called Peaky Blenders? Oh, no. Is that, no, no, no. Like, is that what you came up with the name of this podcast? <laughs> uh, we should do like the greatest food scenes in cinema. Uh, we should yeah. just like for a fun off yeah, one, we just not? go through like when you think of food and film, like you know the the, the strudel and. Do you think people bastards. like it when we when we talk about what we might do at the beginning of yeah. our Let me go do something else. Everyone's like, are they like, going to do that? Are they going <laughs> to come back to it in five weeks' time like they normally do? Everyone's listening, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Go, on, go on, tell me. Go on. Well, like, we can't be well I, I don't know, but also um, there's always another episode coming next week. Just so. one more thing on the title, Pop Kitchen. It means, you know, it's like a band name. Think about it that way. Mm. What are the Kings of Leon? What are the charlatans? What, what is you two? Yeah. Is it the first band you thought of was the charlatans? Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, I suppose. Why not? Yeah. What, That's what? What, it's like, the char- are they char- they, don't, they don't talk about yeah. being charlatans in their music. Yeah. yeah. The Pet Shop Cold Boys. Play. The Beach Boys. Radiohead. Beatles. I bet you're going to tell me some trivia for why it's the Beatles. Well, yeah, it's just like, it's a, well, the reason, well, it's, it's, it's about beat, isn't it? Like the beat, beat rock and B-A-E-A-T, oh, okay. like yeah. the beat of rock. And then it's just like a pun on that. Yeah. You know, what we were trying to do, you see, was like Queen. being in the party. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, how Queen? Um, I don't know. I think it's because that, I mean, it's been a while since I've unfortunately watched Bohemian Rhapsody, but, you know, the kind of operatic kind of grandeur was not that in there about Queen. Yeah, but how did the Beatles come up with the name of the Beatles? <laughs> but you said a Queen, though. No, but go into your impression. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, no, it's just like sort of thinking about Tony Brian Epstein, and we thought maybe we can be, because they were called the Quarrymen originally. Oh, right. And then they're like, why don't we be like Beats, you know, but like the it's Beatles. A bit more funky. Yeah, oh, I've got a great song too. You know, I thought we could maybe do a little bit, a little bit of this and a little bit of kissy, kissy, kissy. Peace and love, peace and love. <laughs> you can go back to an earlier episode and right? get into it more. I haven't seen Get Back recently, <laughs> so I'm a bit off. So, George, usually when you know we sit down and do a do an episode, whether it's a week or two in advance, we go, we're going to talk about this. We're going to give this some time. We're yeah. going to go right. What are some of our favourite scenes? What are some of the most underrated actors? Sure. Or we'll choose a film and we'll be like, this anniversary is coming up, yeah. or this sequel is happening, and we just go right. I really want to, in a way that I think we both enjoy. Like, let's yeah. sit down and have that conversation. Um, but we get so many amazing emails from you, and thank you so much for sending them thank with you. all of these different little. Uh, questions and segments and if you've listened to the podcast before we'll read them out and we'll go "Ooh, that's a great one for another yeah. time and sometimes we'll make a whole episode about yeah. them but we thought there were a lo- there are a few emails on here we wanted to read out which is sort of throwing us a couple of smaller ideas and we thought we would dedicate this episode to answering some of them yeah and if you want to ask us a question, you can do by emailing hello at pulpkitchenpodcast.com. Can't t- guarantee we'll get to them straight away, but please do send them in because uh, it's always great to hear what you guys think. Thank you. Should we go for it? Let's do it. This one is from Dave. Hey, Dave. All right, lads. All right, mate. Love the pod. Scandalous you don't have more subs. We'll Thank do you. my best to spread the word. Thank Wondered you. if you had a film that acted as your awakening to the possibilities of cinema. Sort of a, oh my God, I didn't know films could do that moment. For me, it was Pulp Fiction. Managed to convince my mum to buy it for me on VHS when I was 96, in 96 when I was 10. Right. Having only really watched standard blockbusters before this, Tarantino blew my mind. Mm. It completely changed how I thought about film and really sparked a passion for cinema. Keep up the good work, Dave. We know what's really funny about that is that uh, Pulp Fiction is like was a massive generational thing and that it got a whole new generation of people into mm. cinema by introducing all these different influences because Pulp Fiction is drawing on kung fu movies and yeah. exploitation films and stuff. It's the film that appears and on a uni dorms. Uh, totally, wall. that and Fight Club and Scarface yes. and, and, and all that. But um, a bit like how we were talking last week about how music, uh, when, you know when people get judgy when people have discovered 
a band through through a, a medium. Yes. In the same way people are like, I mean, there's a line in the thick of it, which is like, oh, you're like one of those people that think cinema began with Tarantino. And it's like, yeah, ha, yeah. Ha, ha. However, like you've got to start somewhere and it's great that mm. that has come in. So that's really wonderful. I don't think I have a moment, a film that, that I could pinpoint and say that one oh, that, thing that one thing but what i will say is I, i've thought a lot about especially since doing the show where when did it begin mm. when did the love of cinema begin when did i really become obsessed with films and i think it was i must have been about seven or eight and love it. do you remember this was the era in the mid noughties when on like channel four and channel five they would make a show a bit like we have done times about over a list which would be the 100 greatest films of all time. Yes. The 100 greatest villains of all time. Okay. And I remember there were quite a few of those. And I remember distinctly watching those. And I remember... Um, Hosted by Alex Zane. Yes, things like that. And I remember watching it and uh, I was seeing all these different clips of all these different films that I'd never heard of. Mm. These are adult films. These were grown-up films, right? And because it was cut up and edited and you were only seeing clips... It wasn't ever like really scary or, or contextualized to, to, for me to be too young to watch it, right? So I, my parents just let me watch it. But what was interesting is hearing my parents react to it. <clears throat> so you have these films that are being presented as being some of the best films of all time that you've never heard of. Yeah. You've got famous people or important people on there going, yeah, I love that bit in this film, but love this. You're being shown the clips, which look really interesting. And then you've got your parents going, oh yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we heard that. And you're like, hang on, there is a whole other world out there, a yeah. whole other language... That I'm, <clears throat> that I'm not part of. And also, it told me films can be serious. Films, which I think of as playful and fun and amazing, can be taken seriously by adults mm. and by people enough to make a TV show out of it. Yeah, like it's the like, kiddie stuff you watch on the screen yeah, actually has this whole other like world. You might not... It's possible to not grow out of films. You don't have to grow up out of it. And that was really uh, interesting to me. Also, seeing like the best bits of like the 50 greatest films of all time is yeah. like mainlining cinema into yeah. your veins. So my curiosity was just just peaked that there was this whole language out there. And, and also as a child, I was like, that's a way to talk to adults. Film mm. is this bridge now because if adults like films, I like films, that's thing in common. I've just got to find the right film to talk to them about. And it's nice. like, you know, I told you that story before about being when I was at my friend's house and the mum yes. was like, we're yeah. going to see Elf. And I was like, oh, we're James Garn. That's me being like, I've seen films too. I'm like you. I need your approval. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please. Um, and like, I remember- like, were, you, were you like, did you want to be mature as a kid? Did you like, were you like more grown up than No, than no, you no, been? not overly. No. I just think I, I think I wanted- Not a bad way. I mean, no, like, no, I think you, uh, I wanted- fun things to be given respect and and i didn't i didn't yes. want fun things to be dismissed as just trivial i i <coughs> i believed and i'm like i still hold on to it that like you know fun has its place and seeing that films and, and art as a result by, by extension and all things creative were taken seriously it was like a big thing for me to hold on to um wow i've never really spoken it about length <laughs> about it before yeah so, so I, how do you feel about that George? <laughs> <laughs> so i think uh, i and also they did like 50 greatest actors and everything so i just became mm. very aware of of all the different dimensions of the film and it just took off and i would then like when i would go into town with my mom i would like nip into waterstones and i would just stare at the film and tv book section and I would just pull bits out and look at it uh, and, and look at the different pages and just see, see all these different images. It's literally like being strapped to a chair and blasting you. Yeah, like, all that being clockwork orange. It's like, ah! Like all Have these you seen images. those TikToks, which is like, 
you haven't seen Scarface, and then it just plays Scarface in 30 seconds. Like, literally <laughs> right, just sped yeah. up. Like, there you go, you've seen it, enjoy, yeah. I'll go. It's like, great. Um, <laughs> and so that began my, like, quest to be like, I need to look into this more and pay more attention to this, because I like mm. films now, but there's, it's it was amazing to learn that there is a whole other world out there, mm. kiddo. There's always another film that you haven't seen. There's always, always another, a bigger fish. Always a bigger fish. What about you? Did I you mean, have one that? Uh, had I mean, moment? that's the thing. Like, it's it's very hard to be like. There's a moment where I got the light bulb and realized. Yeah, I so I, you know, I version. point at some of like the big, the biggest. The biggest films that influence me are obviously like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and like some of the biggest films to come out yeah. that are obviously like aimed at, at young kids. But I, th I think it's a point at a moment when I realized is less valuable from my perspective, but I can more talk about like moments in films specifically where I was like, oh, I didn't know films could do that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, do And that. so speaking of Lord of the Rings, what is a scene which shouldn't work it really shouldn't work. And it's when Gollum speaks to Smeagol from two different camera yes, angles. That, yeah. And it's a CG character. And like the, the, vo the Andy Serkis voice of Gollum is really, I almost want to describe it as like overly Disney. And like, yeah. my precious, we yeah, shouldn't. Yeah. But it's this amazing, amazing scene yeah. where it's, you know, the camera is from two perspectives. And there's a fun fact is that when Andy Serkis does this, he doesn't cut. He's actually turning his head and giving the two performances oh. recorded as live. Wow. Um, and if you don't know, it's in the two towers when, you know, Smeagol realizes that the Gollum version of him is toxic and he needs to get out because Gollum wants him to, you know, Go take away. the ring. And never come back. back. Nobody likes you. Yeah. You don't have any friends. <laughs> listening like yeah. it's really it, it on paper yeah. that's a really bad scene yeah. but something about Andy Serkis and like also the testament to the visual effects of uh Smeagol Gollum working yes, yes. as well as they did so I was like wow the fact that this works pretty amazing to me um and then I would say this is like a very late version of which I didn't know a film could make me cry so quickly and that's the opening of Up right yeah of course. I'm just pick, I'm just picking moments where yeah. I'm like I didn't know film could get me yeah. so quick yeah um and i think i think i think i was i remember going to see up and i was not late but i sat down as like the the pixar logo mm. was coming in so i was a bit flustered mm. and then i was crying like four minutes later but the thing is that actually that when we talk about the opening of up it's not the opening opening do you remember you've got the whole bit with charles Muntz at the beginning and yes, like, there is that is out there. Out there. yes and then they have the montage but i think i agree it's that thing of like wordless there's no dialogue, that montage. Just music. It's just like familiar humanity yeah. at its core. Yeah, I agree. And I it's mean, animated as well, which you might think, oh, the animation can't make me cry. And, you know, no, but it does, there's the beautiful simplicity of it. I mean, also like, I think I watched the, the opening of Saving Private Ryan way too young, yes. but I remember being like, holy God. The Omaha <laughs> Beach. You feel the, like you've been there, which is such a movie, horrible thing to say, but you do can, feel like you were there. Yeah. Um, I think real veterans would beg to differ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> oh, I've been there. Yes, it was like sitting and watching it in a cinema. Anyway. And then I'll point to another moment. These are all very, very different moments. Um, uh, when I was a young teenage boy and it's it's watching a film like Superbad for the first time right? and I think that film and I'll attribute it with this and the in-betweeners <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'd never seen properly attributed to screen what teenage boys actually talk like right this is how this like in-betweeners UK banter specifically and I'm like yeah. this I didn't yeah, think it was, yeah, like, I didn't think America. it was possible to actually accurately put onto film yeah. or TV what these conversations are like yeah. but here we are I'm not sure how well Superbad uh, ages no. but 
I was like, wow, this is like, especially considering I was 12 or 13 when Superbad came out. I was like, oh my God, this, I've never heard people speak like this ever, especially in a film. You know what? I do have an answer for you. Do you just talking about it? Because you're talking about being a teenager and seeing that represented. By the way, if I would be interested to know, you know, we've had correspondence from Canada, South Africa, mm. uh, LA. I'd be interested to know what the in-betweeners, if they've seen it, looks like. Oh, there. yeah, if you're international, like, in, what does the in-betweeners look like? Just do you get it? Yeah, probably not. Anyway. Sorry. Um, I I remember thinking about you just talking about being a teenager and, and seeing things. It reminded me of that bit in Boyhood where um, he talks about he goes camping with his dad with Ethan Hawke and he's like, "Oh, the best movies to come out this year were Tropic Thunder, The Dark Knight, and Pineapple Express." But she doesn't like any of that because it's at that time it's two thousand and eight, right? Yeah. This kid's like thirteen, fourteen. And when I was watching Boyhood at the time at the cinema, I remember thinking, "I'm I'm that age. The kid in Boyhood mm. is my age. I'm maybe just a bit older, maybe just about yeah. shy, just shy." Um, and it made me think of Boyhood then when you're talking about it. And when I rewatched Boyhood, I did think I had a moment where I thought, oh, films can do that. And that was realizing that by That's a crazy sitting, films can do that. Yeah. The, yeah. By by sitting and being in the presence of one person and seeing them age before your eyes within the kind of verisimilitude contain, containment of a film makes you experience something completely different. I remember there was, there was a point like two thirds of the, when I two thirds of the way through my second viewing of Boyhood, I was like, I'm seeing like a whole new dimension here. Mm. I'm it's honest. There's it's something really... about being watching this guy in front of me, watching this family, all these characters just slowly go through time, time that I have been through, time I've even been through at the same age. Yeah, really, really resonated with me. And if, and I was just like, from then on, I was like, oh, this thing's like a fucking masterpiece. I just couldn't, I, it was amazing. I was like, I, you, you've tapped, Link has tapped into something there. It's ineffable, really. I can't, I can't, I can't describe it. But do you see what I'm getting at? The idea of being exposed to, 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 to that image and seeing someone grow up in front of you. It, only film can do that. And it's like tapped into something almost, maybe it's anthropological about yeah. somebody growing up and aging. Oh, it was really, it was profound, really, really profound. I kind of had a similar thing when I watched. That's a big one for like films. Only film could do this. That is literally. A, yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. Only film can do that. Yeah. Um, only moving image. I kind of had a similar thing with Victoria as well, which was that one shot film I told you about before. Mm. You know, uh, the, ooh, I think it's German. I was going to say German. I think it's German. Um, that's like, that, there's a point in that where, again, I was like, there's something about the fact that I haven't seen a cut in this and I know it's a one take film mm. and I know I'm not being jerked around like, 1917 or Birdman that something else was being achieved it was like it had achieved a new dimension a new thing by by the the prolongation prolongation of of time yeah that went a bit deep but you really slowed down like, yeah I was I leaned in yeah so that to answer who what was that this Billy? is from Bob. Dave. Billy, Bob, and Dave. That's from uh, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Um, I'll yeah. just say one more, which is a film I have mentioned before on this show. It's one of my favorites. But I watched a film called Shame, which I've talked about before. Yeah. Probably too young. But I think, because mm. I think I watched it maybe a year or two after it came out. And I think my cousin recommended it to me. And I remember watching it and thinking, oh, like this film is really challenging me. And mm. it has really mature themes. And I think... I don't think I, as a as a teenager, I probably was able to get the references, like the deep emotional, yeah. uh, you know, complex themes that it deals with. But yeah. I remember like acknowledging that I was being challenged by that film, but not because I didn't understand it. I was like, this is actually just different to something that I usually would watch. And yes. therefore it's like piqued my interest to challenge myself further. Yeah. And I do kind of think of it as like a formative film that's made me go, hmm. <laughs> Yeah.
Yeah. You know, actually, sorry, I have one thing to add as well. Mm. That is, um, this isn't necessarily an example of, oh, I didn't realize cinema can do that. It's more about, oh, this revealed to me. Yes, what it revealed to you. Yeah, this revealed to me how intricate and complex our relationship with films is. Yes. And that was when I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right? Oh, right, yeah. So I saw that in 2019 at the cinema and... Which is recent, right? It's recent. This is a recent. So yeah, your, I, I, yeah. you know, I'm a competent, cogent um, film lover by this point, and I go see it with a friend of mine who also loves Tarantino. And look, we we see it in midday at a normal multiplex, which is not very busy. I'd say yeah. it's pretty empty. Uh, there's probably maybe 20 people in there in the whole room, and it's yeah Saturday mid midday screening. And I mentioned that because it was pretty kind of flat atmosphere in the screening room. And then the film kind of plays mm. and we watched it and we, me and my friend, again, both big Tarantino fans were kind of quite flat and we came out and thought that was slow. That was Same. really meandering and um, <laughs> what the hell was going on. And uh, it not, feels not, like it just ends. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And not what the hell was going on, but yeah, it just, just ends and it kind of rambles and there's this breakout of violence. And I was really, really disappointed and I felt really, bummed by because also it had got rave reviews and everyone was going over huge it. Huge cast members. Yeah, and I and I was really down about it and it was a shame. And then a year later I watch it with my family, my girlfriend in my in my house, right? This is the you know, COVID time. And we put it on and we watched the film. And I I, I was like, I don't want to watch it guys. It was too recent. You know, I've seen it. And they were like, no, no, come on, we want to watch it. I was like, okay, I'll watch it again. And I watch it and I couldn't have had a different experience mm. watching it. I I it, it completely excelled and changed in my mind I, I i it was i watched it and from the opening bit where the guy it's the fake uh news coverage and he's speaking to cliff and and rick at the on set and it's like if you're seeing double it's not to you this is cliff booth this and, must uh, uh, cliff yeah, booth. yeah this is rick um uh, rick and then and it's stunt double cliff booth and it's literally like tarantino rick dalton film, yeah rick dalton and, and it's and stunt double cliff booth and it's literally like tarantino and the film is saying Here's Hollywood. Mm. Here are the two sides of Hollywood: the glossy front and the dark shadow. Mm. I'm gonna, sh- and the film is gonna go and show you two parallel lives of Hollywood. And from that point on, I I, I understood it and I followed it. And for some reason, I was just much more in tune with how the film was working. And every single bit of it just worked and understood. And typically, the, the, there's the bit where Rick is on the set of the Western film, yeah, and Cliff goes to the ranch to spawn spawn George Spawn's ranch. George Spahn's ranch. God, that's, that's an awful <laughs> sentence to say. Um, and I remember when I saw it at the cinema, I found that really slow and I was not engaged. And this time I found it so tense and I thought it was so clever. I see what you're doing here. You've got this um, fake, you know, stilted Western fiction happening <clears throat> on a soundstage in LA. Mm. Meanwhile, you've got a real Western standoff happening at this ranch uptown mm. with this sort of dark underbody. The thing that Hollywood doesn't know is about to come and happen. And and then the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, not only just the catharsis of the violence, but the ending, um, I am going to spoil it now, of when Rick goes up the gate and, you know, Sharon Tate hasn't been killed. Because the whole film, you've got the yeah. specter of, like, I really don't want to see Sharon Tate murdered. No, so, uh, so much of the build-up was that you knew that was the Yeah, you knew that was the storyline, but obviously that is a, that's not what happens. And no. then the bit at the end where Rick walks up and they sort of say hello, and then it's that's the end. It says Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There was something I actually found really touching about that, and it was like... Uh, I think Robbie Collin talked about this in a better way than me, the, the film critic, but it's like... Tarantino had like had just created this nice little space where it's like this didn't happen here, and in this in this world Sharon Tate lives, and 
I don't know. There's just something so sweet and almost like uh, human about. I want to. I want to keep her alive, and and I've done that in my own way. You would never expect Tarantino to do that, but he like shows his heart in that last frame with keeping her alive. Oh hi, I'm, and because it brings the conclusion of Rick's character so well. And um, anyway, I mentioned it because I didn't realize that I could have such a profoundly different viewing experience. Mm. And it almost made me think, you know what, film? Oh, you and I, we've got a long way to go because I, here I am thinking, <laughs> I, here I am thinking, I know you. you know and what, here I am what, doing what I think, thought was the right thing, going to the cinema and seeing it on a big screen and mm. yet seeing it at home for the second time with my family, having a break here and there. That I, sense of like, oh, it's going to be so good. Honestly, it jumped from like a three star at best viewing to like almost like a five star. Mm. And now I think it's one of Tarantino's best. I really think that film is so clever and so interesting about what it's doing. I can't judge your reaction, but have you had that? I've had a similar experience right. of watching it a second time. I didn't get it. I definitely didn't get it yeah. the first time. So you know what? I listened to a, I listened to long interviews with Tarantino and Leonardo DiCaprio being interviewed about it. And they, this before I'd seen it. And they spoke so intellectually about that era. And I was yeah. like, wow, these two understand yeah. what they're talking about. And they feel, and you know, Tarantino talks about the cinema he has in his house and all the films he forces his stars to watch as like reference points. Yeah. I was like, wow, they are clearly like really, really well researched. And I think I probably went into the cinema with just bigger expectations for what the plot's gonna do yeah. left it i was like i didn't get it i'm yeah. a little bit i actually yeah it was weird to feel like i didn't understand the film yeah not that i'm so smart but like no, no, as but someone who wants wanted to really engage with the film and be yeah. like i just didn't get it, it wasn't for me and i've heard more i've heard other people say the exact same thing as you have where like you watch it again i remember it came out on whatever it was uh like or, or to, 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 to rent on apple and i remember watching it and being like oh i'm just so much more relaxed and enjoying the ride yeah. and it was little moments like that we say about the two sides of hollywood which is so obviously what it's trying yeah, to do it's so obvious second time around it's little scenes of like leonardo dicaprio rick dalton in the dressing room dunking his face in ice yeah trying to just like nurse his hangover and do the scene or he, he rushes back into his dressing room and he's like for god's sake mess up your goddamn yeah, lines yeah, yeah. like that has probably happened to a million yeah. actors but you've never ever seen them yeah. Uh, open up and like to the insecurities of who they are um yeah it's i don't think it's my favorite tarantino film but i acknowledge it is way better than yeah. my first impression but it's interesting like you're talking about you know where you were when you saw it and how much our memory of film is attributed to where we were when we watched it mm. or the, the environment we were yeah. in when we watched it one of my favorite first time watching film experiences was when i saw the matrix for the first time at a sleepover right. and i was at a family friend sleepover and all the other boys were three years older than me so i was the youngest one there nice. We had to go downstairs and ask my mum permission if I was allowed to watch The Matrix, which was a 15 yeah. or an 18 even. And my mum was like, okay, uh, you can watch it. So I'm watching it with the sense of like, this is so exciting. Yeah, I shouldn't be watching naughty, this. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, oh, like, what does that mean? So are they in The Matrix now? Yeah. But I remember like, again, mind blown for all the reasons that The Matrix is. But yeah, it's that sense of like, mm. I'm not allowed to watch this. That's why it's special. I think just on one last thing on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is also that I love the idea of, what I was loving about the second viewing experience, not just that, oh, I've actually seen a great film now that I've able to discover it. It's like, I love that th this is just telling you and reminding you that, oh, film, great films are out there, but it might not be to the second time that you get it. Mm. it the second viewing is actually, I, I think, usually the optimum, the most important time of viewing a film. There have been so many great films I've seen first time, but the second time really is the decider between either going, oh, okay, that was kind of a one-time thing, mm. or this has got so much going for it. And I, and I love that. You just, just when there's so much content out there and you can only kind of get to it once, James is just quickly I've just written down the films that need to be seen twice as an editorial ah, that we need yes, to do. yes, very good. Or they're like, you, not, you, not so understood, but almost like you, you, should, you need to watch them again. Sure. Because we always say that we don't write them down, so we wanted to write it down. 
just when you're talking about that, like, oh, that was a really in profound, interesting viewing experience when you watched mm. Matrix for the first time. Do you, if I asked you right now, what are your top, could you name, what is one of the best film viewing experiences you've ever had? Oh, but like viewing experiences in, like similar to that or like. Okay, what's one of your best cinema viewing experiences? Um, Dunkirk projected an IMAX film. Mm. Oh yeah. It's the best looking film I think I've ever seen. Right. Um, I would have loved to have seen Blade Runner 2049 in a premium in, viewing experience. Yes, I agree. I think that is also one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, projected IMAX film, which is different to digital IMAX, truly. Well, like, you will hear the projector yeah. behind you is just a different level of like color clarity and resolution. It's like yeah. just completely insane. So yeah, seeing Dunkirk projected in IMAX film was, was probably most, I think in terms of like pure fidelity, yeah, I'd, yeah, say, yeah. I'd say that. Um, Hateful Eight in ultra-wide Panavision. Yeah, wow. I, I literally told my mom we are going, I, I started Googling, I was like, because well, I knew this was shot in ultra-wide yeah. Panavision. Um, this is like a sensor strip of film, which is like twice as wide as a usual 35 mil. Um, and I was like, mom, we have to see it, not just in a regular screen. No, no, we need to find yeah. like the ultra wide Panavision, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was in Leicester Square. So it's a bit of a chore to go and see it. But that was amazing because wow. it's like a 360 yeah, wraparound yeah. uh, experience. And it, it's the only film that could justify that because it, 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 you want to be looking in every single direction to see who's about to double cross you. So that yeah. was pretty cool. But in terms of more intimate ones like The Matrix, I can't think of. What about you? Well, no, I just asked because uh, in terms of viewing experience, I mean, this is very personal. It's not yours are very technical. Yeah, it's all I like a think of. No, yeah. but that's fine. For me, uh, I went to see. Are you aware of Stop Making Sense? No. Okay, Stop Making Sense is like regarded as one of the best concept films ever made. I mean, that's a whole genre into itself, yeah. the concept film, and it's um, a talk. You know, the band Talking Heads, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, one of my favorite bands. You know, love them so much. And I had never seen Stop Making Sense. And then Stop Making Sense is directed by Jonathan Demme, who went on to do Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, a very illustrious career, sadly no longer with us. Um, and it was this great collaboration between him and the band of Talking Heads to create this excellent concert film. And one thing, some of the hallmarks, just for context, that stand out is that... Um, it starts very small and the set is almost built around the action. So it begins with David Byrne, the lead singer, just playing guitar, acoustic guitar, coming on with a little boombox and playing to that. And then, you know, the, the stagehands in black bring on the, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the bassist comes on next. And then the rhythm guitarist comes on and the stagehands bring on the guy in the drum set. And then every, this happens every next song. And then the backing singers come on and slowly over the course of like six, seven songs, the, the set has been built. And that increases, and then they're bringing on like lamps and, and things like that. And yeah. you have this whole artistic thing. The film doesn't show the audience until the very end. So you're kept in the dark. You're, you almost feel like you're at, at a gig yourself. Anyway, I love Talking Heads. I'd never seen Stop Making Sense. I even had the album. But I'm at university, and they were showing it at midnight at the, print, uh, the Duke of York's Theatre in Brighton. And uh, some friends and I... We were like, well, we're going to go see it. You know, obviously, we're you know, going to. And it was one of those classic things that at quarter past 11, we were like really tired. And we're like, oh, can we be bothered? So I don't mm. think I want to go. Anyway, we went and it was really busy, really packed theatre. And it was not only great fun, but the music is just so brilliant. And you really, like, you really feel like you're at a gig. Honestly, when, when Bernie Down the House, which was one of the big songs, came on about five, five bits in, these people in front of us just leapt up and they were just dancing and enjoying themselves. And soon enough, uh, they moved to the aisles. And 
at first I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But I'm like watching this. And then three songs later, me and my friends were in the aisles. And we, for the rest of the film, there's probably an hour left of all these songs. It was like being at a concert. And we, yeah. were, we were dancing in the aisles and singing along to this movie. And I remember looking back at one point, and I remember seeing there were quite a few people still sat trying to watch this film but i was like it's beyond a film now it's not a it's not a movie it's like we've we've become part of the of the zone we're getting up we're all dancing i mean that and it was just wonderful and people all around it was like yeah it was like it reached through the screen and it made it, it made it a concert it was it was fantastic and it was on, just on such a high afterwards um and it didn't feel bad for being you didn't feel disruptive it, it, it's, it, it was that you listening to the songs in the chair were just just felt so restrictive, and that's what the people in front of us were almost saying. They were like, "We need to just like get up. This this is too good to sit down to. This is cinema. You need to actually stand you know, stand up and dance to." It. And uh, it was wonderful. I have a similar experience for a very different oh, film God. called High School Musical Three. <laughs> and it was genuinely the same thing happened. Where like it was like the first week to see that film, and it was like obviously the first one that came out in cinema. Yeah, and everyone was dancing. Really, it was like I, I, I like. It's I've never ever been to another screening where people stand up in a cinema yeah. and dance in the front. Wow. I was like, this is crazy. Did you dance? Mania. Well, yeah, every, everyone did. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I was, I'd all be like, oh, everyone did it. We were all just enjoying ourselves like for the fun of it. And it was like a child takeover of uh, the cinema, a teen takeover of the cinema. Wow. But I, that's the only thing I have, which is a similar <laughs> reference, but there you go. Slightly different leagues. Yeah, slightly <laughs> different films. I feel like you and I could very easily, now we've opened the bottle, just go through like, any film that's been responsible for our love film yeah, or any yeah. experience which yeah, has been totally. responsible for our love. So Dave, thank you for the question. Um, hopefully you've got a nice little mixture there. Um, next email. Hi, James and George. I'm T2P, TikTok to podcast listener. I thought you said that was his name. No. I was like, okay. He's got T2P, brackets, TikTok to, TikTok to podcast Nice. Listener. And really enjoying the show. Thank you. Adam Sandler's new film, Hustle, is a perfect marriage of two of my favorite hobbies, basketball and film. Due to my love of the subject matter, it took a 3.5 out of 5 film to a 4. I was wondering if you boys have any films that felt it was made for you, whether it was due to its subject matter, main character, or just the time of your life when you watched it. Keep up the great work. And that's from Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you. And uh, welcome TikTok people. Um, good question. Mm. See what, first of all, if he loves basketball, I hope he's seen Hoop Dreams. Have you seen Hoop Dreams? No. Great documentary from the 90s, about three hours long, about basketball, and it follows two kids, two separate stories in Chicago. I think it's, no, is it New York? God, I can't even remember now, sorry. I, I thought it was Chicago. Um, I think, you know, I think it is, is because that's the whole point, because Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Anyway, um, and th them growing up and being sort of like, everyone's playing basketball, you know, in, in, on the court and everything. Mm. But these guys want to be basketball players and it's their sort of dreams of being professional and growing up. And it follows them for like five years and it's, it, it's just so heartwarming and, and, and lifting you. And, you know, I don't know basketball rules. I don't know anything about basketball, mm. but watching Hoop Dreams, I was like so invested. And there was bits where like somebody scored and I was like, yes, come on. I mean, that was for me. Was, I, I also have a, like a strong connection with that. I watched that in like lockdown in like the morning. Right. Put on Hoop Dreams. It's like, there's nothing to do. So I'm going to watch <laughs> Hoop Dreams. And it was wonderful it's a really really it's, it's regarded as like one of those standout uh, documentaries it's great but just also to follow that mm, sorry as well i hope he's seen the last dance you know the michael yeah, so good. that I mean again for someone who doesn't know anything about basketball yeah, yeah. now i'm just like it's effective documentary art. that's yeah absolutely fantastic um were you gonna say something my what? favorite basketball film coach, coach Car carter right never seen it but samuel I knew you jackson that. Channing, yeah. Young Channing Tatum. You call him Samuel L. Jackson like your friends. He's Samuel L. Jackson. Give him sorry, his full title. Sorry, Samuel L. Jackson. And um, 
yeah, that's 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 a fun film. And then uh, he keeps making all of these athletes run. And Channing Tatum is like, hey, y'all, this ain't the track team, man. And then he's like, no, is it the debate team, Mr. Lyle? Uh, <laughs> very funny. Uh, do, you, do you ever see semi-pro or semi-pro? Oh, yes. The Will, years the Will on Ferrell. TV. This is one of those like Will Ferrell comedies that came out that was like really under the radar. One of his, yeah. Like, like not massive, like probably cobbled together for like with, made of loose change. Yeah. It was like him and Woody Harrelson. And I watched it on like Sky Movies at two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, and it probably made me laugh twice. Twice, and then yeah. the re- and then you have to sit through the rest of the film when they do the the shtick. I I really like when Will Ferrell talks about what it was like making Elf, right. um, and he talks about because they shot loads of scenes where Will Ferrell was dressed up in the Elf, and he's just walking around New York, and he's doing. It's like, hi everybody, I'm Elf. I'm from the North Pole. Yeah. And he's like, you know, literally for two days they walked around New York just hoping for like interesting interactions. And Will Ferrell said he bumped into some friends of his who saw him in New York dressed like an <laughs> Elf, and they were like. Is everything okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like thought he was career. There's like, yeah, I'm doing this film called because he's talking about Elf like now relative to its huge success, yeah. and it's like a lot of people like to watch it at Christmas. Yeah. And it's like at the time, it was a real gamble. Like, yeah, it's a film where I'm an Elf and I'm in New York. <laughs> and his friends are like, sure. you do you doing all right? Is everything okay? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Elf is that that movie with James Khan? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, James Khan. Um, but to answer your question, um, Mr. T2P mm. about film that came around at the right time for you uh, i think i can answer that yeah, i think it. i can so um there is a film that i love that is uh, it's an underrated film um uh, which i could have talked about in that episode it's a film called columbus which came out a few years ago which has john cho in it you know as in um harold from harold and kumar yes who's yes. now you know flourished into being a wonderful you know actor in his own mm. right uh, and Hayley Lee Richardson, and it was his first time directing, but it's a director called Coganada, and he'd made a couple of like video essays and things like that. And um, Columbus is all set in Columbus, Indiana, where there are these fantastic um, modernist architecture masterpieces just dotted around this pretty nondescript town, right? This nondescript city. And um, this film sort of follows this very platonic relationship between. Uh, John Cho's character and Hayley Richardson's character, you know, he needs to come back because his father's ill. She needs to kind of get going because she's stuck looking after her mother when she should be out living her life. And you kind of have this uh, dichotomy between them and they kind of walk around Columbus, Indiana, chatting and taking in these modernist architecture masterpieces. But the reason I bring that up is because on a personal note, so I, I can't remember if we've mentioned this, but I used to work in film, right? And then I moved and, and work in architecture now. And... At the time, I remember thinking, okay, I'm in this kind of new world of architecture. What does that mean? And how's, how does that work? And, there, and no films are made about architecture. No mm. films are made about, about buildings yeah. but that aren't, you know, like fiction feature films. And then Columbus came out, like, literally not long after, like a few months. I remember going to watch it, and I was like, this is, this is for me. It's almost like it, the universe was saying, you know, these two things, these this world that you know of film and this new world that you don't know so well, architecture, they coexist together. What and is this like, God that speaks yeah. to you so nicely? And, it's like, and it, it comes together and it, there's this film and, I, and it's a lovely film. It's really, really beautiful and, and really terrific and I think it's only 90 minutes as well, which always helps. Oh, it is so soothing. It's just so gentle and there's a line in it which is about a character that makes some soup and, a and one of the person's like, oh, I... It's interesting, and they're like, yeah, it's, it's subtle. You know, it has a different kind of flavor, and like that's the whole film. Like, it, it, Columbus, it's just 
lovely. Really, mm. really beautiful film. So that was that. The second answer I can give is um, about Parasite. Mm. Because Parasite, there's nothing in Parasite that really speaks to me as, on like a personal level. It's not that. It's about when it... So. Wh- <laughs> yeah. It can just resonates with how my murderous instincts. No, it, it's about when it came out. And um, it's funny, we're just talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I felt like towards the end of 2019, there were loads of big films coming out that just were getting loads of great reviews and just didn't land with me. So I'm talking um, The Souvenir, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ad Astra. I think, you know, things that I was like, okay, these are all like, but kind of like three, three and a half stars. I kind of like getting a little bit out of, but people were like raving about them. And I got a bit depressed about it. I was Mm. like, I'm seeing all these films that people say are amazing. And it's just not landing. And honestly, for six months, it felt like I'd lost my film mojo. And I and nothing. And, and honestly, we get to the point where people are like, "Oh, do you want to watch this film?" I'm like, "Maybe, but I probably won't enjoy it." Will I? <laughs> just like I, nothing. Nothing was just really, really tickling me. And it does happen, especially when you watch a lot of films, like you, like, like you and I do. I think it's natural to slightly fall out of favor yeah. with it and take a breather. And yeah, let your in. mind sort of reprocess, and also yeah. kind of you almost want to. At that point, you're almost wanting to move into like a slightly different phase of your life, so that when you go back to watching films again, you kind of have a different perspective. Also, the film, unless it's really weird, weird will always be there for you to watch. Right, exactly. You don't even feel like you need to miss the zeitgeist. But anyway, so I, I'm having this kind of film funk, and then I didn't really know much about Parasite. I knew it, it got you know loads of success, mm. and there was big big talk about it, and it hadn't won the Oscar yet, but it was up for it, and. There was just quite a lot of excitement about it. And, and also, I went, it's an underdog up for us. Exactly, well. underdog up for us. And I have my normal film friends I wanted to see it with, but it was like one where like film friends and their girlfriends and stuff and came. We actually went into quite, quite a big group. And, you know, this is February 2020. So this is like, you know, pre that. Deep breath. Um, <laughs> and we go and watch Parasite, a film I don't know much about. And Parasite completely blew me out of the water. And I remember sitting watching it thinking, this film... In the first half, I was like, this film is good. I was like, I'm really enjoying this film. This is great. And then there's that moment halfway through Parasite when the doorbell rings. And I was like, holy shit. Is this film that I think already is really good about to just launch into another gear? Yeah. And it completely does. And um, and by the end, it was literally like my film funk is over. It killed my film funk. Mm. I was back and I- Dusted off the cobwebs. Yeah, exactly. I, I, so I, I think about Parasite and I'm like that, you just sometimes need that. A great film will keep going, keep watching stuff. And then eventually something will come through and it will grab you. And I watched Parasite and I was like, oh my God, I've missed this so much. This is, I, I, oh, I'm so here for it. And then, yeah, I was just, I was back into watching films again. So mm. Parasite- it has a special place in my heart for, for the time when it came out when, the, the, when I watched it. I love that. Thank you. My, my story that's similar to that is nowhere near as profound, but I went through an equal funk where I was like, nothing interests me in cinema. Mm. I haven't, literally you go through months yeah. where like this film just doesn't hit me. Yeah. And I went to go see Arrival, which I had no expectations mm. for. And mm. it is a real, it's a real like James film, which yeah. I'll admit. It is, it is. And I know nothing about it. My mind was blown by the yeah, end yeah. of it, and I was like, really, like trying to think. But but if the thing and the circular yeah, language yeah, 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 and yeah. all of this is like so, I didn't expect it to be emotional at all. Yeah, it completely creeps up on you that film, and yeah. I was like, oh, I just want to gush about this to everyone. Yeah, you know, when you feel like you don't want to talk about a film to anyone. Yeah, and it's all of a sudden, yeah, I need yeah. to like oh. speak to everyone I know about Arrival yeah. and how how beautiful it yes. is. And yeah, that's my, my one. That's not as profound. You know, she's gonna hate me for saying this, but I have a thing with Arrival, which okay. is that um, my girlfriend's kind of ruined it for me. Well, but only <gasps> no. in part. Only in part. So. First of all, the week before I saw Arrival... Spoilers for Arrival, I think, yeah, upcoming. Um, the, the week before I saw Arrival, I went to the cinema to see Nocturnal Animals, right? Oh, okay, and then, yeah. And they showed 
two trailers for Arrival. Oh, I think right? I remember and, saying. And both of them, one of them was like the standard trailer. And then the, one of them was like the trailer they drop a week before release where it shows everything. And I'm mm. telling you, it showed everything. And I'm watching, because Arrival's quite a minimal film. You know, it's very focused, very well paced. And in it, I was like, oh, so there's an explosion that happens. And then that happens. And there's people yelling. That person grabs that person. Someone points a gun. And I was just like, oh. And I knew watching the trailer... Does it know I was justice? like, I was like, I didn't, I didn't need to seal that. Yeah, but I, yeah. I had another choice. I sat there waiting to watch this film, and it showed me two trailers, so I couldn't help avoid it. Anyway, so I go see. I'm already not looking forward to seeing Arrival now. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to see it, but and I'm on the phone to my girlfriend, and I say, oh, I want to see it, but I'm, I really think they've shown me a lot that happens in it, which is a real shame. Uh, I think the trailer reveals too much. And she no. said, and she, and she says, oh no, it doesn't show everything. It doesn't show the twist. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, there's a twist. And, and she goes, um. Uh, and so I go, great. So now not only do I know all these bits, I know that there's an explosion here, but like, I know that whatever happens, there's a twist coming at the end. Oh. So I, I've had that. However, that was six years ago. And right. I think maybe now I'd like to go back to and watch Arrival for the second time, like I said earlier. Yeah. Second viewing. Great film to watch on TV at home, I think. Okay. It is beautiful and cinematic and it's obviously better on the big screen. But I think it actually does well with like taking it in in your own time well, and space. It's, it's a small film, isn't it? It's, it's people based on a short talking. story. Yeah. It's and it's Amy Adams, Jamie Renner in a dark room. Yeah. And a little conversation. It's idea. It's like the ideas of it, which is what's so, yeah, so great about it. Yeah. Good point. I should read the short story because I hear that's really good. But now I know. <laughs> Next email. Hi, boys. Loving your stuff. I've had some great family movie nights based off your numerous recommendations. Your previous episode discussing the career of Jim Carrey has got me interested to hear what you think about other actors typically thought of for their comedy who have been good in dramatic roles. Some that come to mind for me is Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems, which we talked about. Yes. Maybe Steve Carroll and Mar Steve Carell yeah. in uh, Welcome to Marwin and obvious Robin Williams' many excellent non-comedic mm. roles. What is your list for best dramatic performances from a typically comedic actor? Um, just in case you missed it, we did, when we found out the news, that Jim Carrey aside, kind of announced his Maybe retirement in the promo yeah. for Sonic 2. We both like despaired and immediately yeah. went through like all of his uh, comedic yeah. roles. So if you missed that, uh, please go and check that out. But George, um, I have two off the top of my head. Um, first one is Seth Rogen and Steve Jobs, which we've mentioned. Yes. I think really like different role for him. Yeah. And then other one, which I don't hear people talk about a lot, is Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls. Which I haven't seen. Oh, Dreamgirls is... Yeah. Do you know what? I think your rule of not having seen a film for over five years applies to Dreamgirls yes. for this one. Because at the time, I really liked it. I've not seen it or thought about it in so long. Mm. But I will stand by Eddie Murphy's performance in Dreamgirls. Right. He is so... Obviously, he's Eddie Murphy, but he is so charismatic. Incredible singer, which I already kind of knew, but he has never yeah. been shown off to me as a singer wow. than in Dreamgirls. Yeah. And he's brilliant all the way through. Dreamgirls is like the film based on yeah. the musical yeah. and it stars um, Jennifer Hudson and Beyonce mm. um, and Jamie Foxx. And it's a, it's a little bit cheesy in the sense that like yeah. that musical side of it is there. But Eddie Murphy in it, not being Eddie Murphy funny, he's being like script funny, mm. but like incredible. And his performances are just incredible in it. So I'd say that. Yeah, he had, he had I didn't realize that Eddie Murphy had like hits in the 80s. It was like pop hits. Yeah. He's yeah. the one that did that song is so before My our time. Girl wants to party all the time. Party all oh, the time. Oh, is that him? Party. Right, yeah. yeah. I know. Um, uh, I only have one, uh, I mean, uh, off the top of my head, the one I can think about is really specific and really random is, so Noah Baumbach made a film called The Mayowitz Stories, which came out on Netflix in 2017, right? No, I didn't see it. Which I did see, but it's not one of my favorite Baumbach stuff. I, I like Baumbach normally, but his stuff, this one was uh, okay. But um, Ben Stiller's in it, and he's, he's Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler are brothers, and Elizabeth Marvel's their sister, and Dustin Hoffman's their dad and stuff. 
and they're kind of been he's this sculptor and Dustin Hoffman's the sculptor and and they you know their children as children they're kind of a little bit broken and misshapen by him mm. and they're a little bit dysfunctional there's a bit towards the end where Ben Stiller has to give a speech about Dustin Hoffman's like retrospective or something and something big has happened beforehand and he's trying to do it and Ben Stiller like breaks down and cries whilst he's doing this speech and um I remember watching it thinking that is a good cry. That is a really good cry. That is a you're doing a good I bit of crying there. That's a good cry in my head. Completely yeah. believable, slightly ugly, messy. Can't sniffly. get too ugly though. You can't yeah, go yeah, full yeah. Peter can't Parker, get... Uncle Ben. No, no. This, uh, but I was like, oh, but and Ben Stiller, you've got a whole different, you know, an actor we think of as typically yes. comedic. And I was like, you've got a real depth to you. I was really surprised. Surprised he didn't do more seriously roles. He, he did Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which was on the way, but I wouldn't yeah, say he quite that. Yeah. Yes, but it, it wasn't quite you know serious, serious. It was fairly whimsical. Well, he, did, he, he did that film Brad Status. Brad Status. Oh, I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. Which I, yeah I quite like it. Some yeah. people did, but I, th- I thought it was really sweet. Um, and he's quite good in that. But yeah. Well, there you go. I think we've both talked pretty romantically about films and this slightly more deep yeah. answering of our correspondence. Don't forget, if you wanted to send us an email, you can do by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. And please do. Um, but thank you very much for listening to this episode. We I've really enjoyed uh, this yeah. one. Um, we upload new episodes of this show, our numbered episodes, at least every single Wednesday. And plenty more content coming out on the channel throughout the whole week, as you guys should all know. Reviews on Friday, if there is a review, and then just extra little bits of content and newsy bits. Yeah. Correspondence, we save your emails for their own episodes. Check Instagram and TikTok as well. There's plenty of content on there. Yeah, and games. Just, um, a lot of games do well on TikTok. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you next week. Amazing. See you next week. Yeah.